I believe we're ready to begin. Let's begin. Hello, and welcome to Movie Podcast Evangelion. I'm Dr. Movies. And I'm Rachel. And today we're going to be looking at... The social... I was almost like, a social network? No. <laughs> no. The social it network. It is the. It's not a. It's the. <laughs> Biffed that one right out of the gate. Yeah. But we're going to keep it going. Yeah, yeah. Keep it rolling. The social network. The social network. 2010. 2010. Uh, directed by David Fincher, written by Aaron Sorkin. Um, Starring in their breakout roles, yeah. Jesse Eisenberg, all who had been in The Squid and the Whale. True, but uh, this was like way like way beyond, yeah, though. Yeah, I think so, because this was a very popular movie. Yeah. And uh, Andrew Garfield in yep. his first major film, film role. Yeah. And Heavily featuring Justin Timberlake. Yes, as legitimate actor Justin Timberlake. Yeah, legitimate actor Justin. Yeah, yeah. And um, a early score by Trent Reznor. Yes, who uh, we both really like. Yes. Um, and, you know, he's he's a really, you know, prolific composer. Um, and I, I think that he has like a really recognizable style. And it's pretty pronounced here because, like you said, like it's an early Trent Reznor film score. And yes. so it has a lot of... He hasn't like yet softened some of the edges. Oh, he's working in his ghosts one through four uh, <laughs> mode. It's uh, contemporaneous with this period in uh, Reznor's oeuvre. Um, and you're hearing a lot of the same uh, synth textures, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, keys, palettes, sonic yeah, let him know. Uh, things, you know. So, uh, but, you know, the reason we are talking about it so much isn't just because we love Nine Inch Nails, but because the score is actually, I think, integral yeah. to elevating this film and I'm not just absolutely that, no a hundred percent it is as much of a driving force as the actual plot is in yes. in a lot of places it replaces we said um what in the west wing another Sorkin joint you may have heard of it uh was known as the walk and talk where there's a lot of exposition that has to happen about uh, pretty jargony yeah. uh, conceptual ideas. But they're heading somewhere. They're heading somewhere. Whereas in this movie, they're mostly just staring at the screens of computers. Or they're like at like a, a deposition. Right. Or it's just like a kind of montage telling you as like voiceover and like narration does a lot of the work right. towards the beginning of the film. Which is not uh, sort of... You don't feel a lot of movement uh, physically with it. So the score moves and very uh, aggressively, Yes, I would say, and overwhelmingly in some places in a good way and and drives the the action and pace of the film. Yeah, it's pretty neat because, you know, going into this, you know, both of us have have seen this before, but it's been, you probably haven't seen it since it came out. I Um, I have not seen this since In a Theater 2010. I, I've definitely seen it since then, but maybe only once. I think like I saw it in a theater and then like watched it with my dad like a couple mm-hmm. of years later. So it's it, it's been a while. But that wasn't a component that I really remembered. Like I, obviously like I remembered the Sorkinisms and the kind of dialogue. Like I remember like specific scenes from here, but I didn't remember how much the score does. And it does a whole lot. It's like like very delightful little find. Well, there's a lot of things that I think we're realizing about this film now. I think we should say like it was a large hit. Yeah. At the time. Smash. Uh, It was nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, I think Jesse Eisenberg might have gotten... Best Picture? It won. All right, so it was nominated for uh, Best Picture. Uh Uh-huh. And it... But it won the Golden Globe for Best Picture. Okay. did not win... The Academy Award for Best Picture, although it won the National Board of Review, National Society of Film Critics, and New York Film Critics, and Los Angeles Critics Film Circles 
Best Picture Award. So it was a big hit. But it, and yeah, and it also it did really well at the box office. Um, I think interestingly, the Social Network kind of has. I, all right, I'm going to use my my specialty knowledge that that I bring to our podcast. Uh-huh. The Social Network has a, a pretty significant fandom following, yes. uh, and like. Tumblr girls love oh. the social network. Um, and, you know, I was never part of that, but like, you can't, you can't, I don't, it's hard to be on fandom adjacent spaces and not see the kind of fangirl following that this has. Well, it's I'm gonna, very interesting. I'm going to tell you why I think that is. Yeah, okay, which tell is, us why. Uh, it did win for best editing and adapted screenplay. It was nominated mm-hmm. for best. Uh, sound mixing, which mm-hmm. we remarked on and we'll get to later. Yeah. Um, but I think it is popular on those things because it is snappily edited, mm-hmm. um, because it's framed very well and mm-hmm. like lit really well. And because yeah. the dialogue is like, there are, there are yes girl moments yeah. all throughout this. Yeah, there are definitely And I yes think it lends itself to sort of jiffability. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Uh, despite the fact that there is not much action in it. No, but there's like, but you know, because it's Sorkin, characters get a lot of snappy lines and comebacks. And there are, there are a couple real duds in here that we were like, boo, cut that out. Let's talk about the screenplay. Uh, let's talk about um, the screenplay. And then we can get to Fincher. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah. Let's talk about Aaron Sorkin. Yes. I'm a out an outed uh, hater. Yeah. Of most Aaron Sorkin things, including The West Wing, including and especially The West Wing, <laughs> uh, and of course uh, the abysmal trial of the Chicago Seven, one of the worst films. Yeah, I've that ever movie's seen. pretty bad. Have you seen um, Molly's Game? I have not seen Molly's Game. Nah. Uh, I have read the script of A Few Good Men and uh-huh. found it. Uh, pro- very promising yeah. in, in many senses, in all the senses that Aaron Sorkin deserves to be praised for. Sure. Because even though he's not to my taste, mm-hmm. the man has a gift for snappy yeah. exposition. And I, I want to, so we've talked to this at length on the pod before, but it might sound like just from how we're kind of describing it, that this could potentially be identified as soy, but it is absolutely not. There it's are not. There are a couple of... Because Aaron Sorkin is a sincere person. It's sincere. You're supposed to think everyone's cool. Cruelty to it. Um, Everyone's supposed to be cool. There's not really. It's catty, I would even say. Oh, extremely. Aaron Sorkin is queenie. Yes. All of his characters are queens who are snapping back. Okay, and this is actually my, my major problem with this movie and probably, you know, with Sorkin in general. Everybody has like the same voice. Yes, everyone is has the I'm throwing shade voice. Every the throwing shade voice and everyone does the same lines. Like they could be moved around. And and this is what I think people are actually trying to get at when like you hear the common complaint about Sorkin where they're like, "Oh, the people don't talk like real life." Well, that's not actually a real criticism because yeah, we don't actually I don't, I don't want shit about that. movies to be have dialogue naturalism. Yeah. But what I think they actually mean is Everyone is talking the fucking same. Everyone is talking the fucking same. And, and, and all at the and same time. And in its sameness, and all at the same time, and in that sameness, and in that all at the same time, our brains think, but that's not how people talk. Yeah. Because, because there's a diversity of how people yeah, talk. Yeah, if, it's if there not were a diversity just... of voices, you would be able to to feel that it was natural. Yeah, 100%. But there is not. Because the, the, 
So, I mean, we can get into what Sorkin thinks of women. I'm not that interested in talking about yeah, it. Yeah, we, like, we, could, we could skim. Women characters and male characters, like, there are strong women and mm-hmm. a strong men. And what unites those two things, what that means is they are the best at witty put-downs. Yeah, yeah. An extemporaneous monologuing, which, like, is debate club level. Yeah, will dominate. Domination. Yeah, yes. yeah, yes. Um. That that is to be cool and good. That ultimately. is to be cool. That's and how good. you win, even when you're bad. Yes. If you're someone who can do that, you're still worthy of us being like, "That was swag." Dog. Yeah, that was swag. Man. That was so yeah, sick. Hundred percent. Um, I mean, I think we can talk about like the first scene to maybe give some examples of that. Yeah, I mean, I think that yeah, let's definitely talk about the the first scene. But the one that kind of when I was watching it jumped out to me, where I was just like, "Oh, th- this is what's happening." Is the scene with the Winklevoss twins talking to the chancellor, the vice chancellor, whoever. Yes, Larry Summers. Larry Summers. Former treasury secretary of the United States. And it's one Larry of those, Summers. when I was, I was just like, everyone in this in this scene sounds exactly the same. Yes, the treasury, the, the treasury secretary of the United States, Larry Summers, who is n- not- He's uh, snapping back. Not someone I think if you've ever read his words in any paper <laughs> of record, you'd describe as like a total fucking, you know, verbal assassin. <laughs> Is just like, is just like the fucking, it is yeah, midnight at the Apollo. Yep. Like he is absolutely, his burns yeah. are coming hard and fast. He yeah. like turns to his secretary and is like, hey, punch me in the face yeah. because these guys won't get to the damn point or whatever. You yeah. Know? And even the Winklevosses, you know, in this scene are like, we're supposed to think of them, I think, as like two oafs who were coming yeah. before the president of Harvard yeah. to plead their legal case about Mark Zuckerberg, they're doing a very stupid and naive thing, right? <laughs> Incredibly, but yeah. But despite the fact that they're doing a stupid and naive thing, Aaron Sorkin can't help but p- just fill their mouths with witticisms. Yeah. Which yeah. just flow back and forth. It's uh, really true. Like, like a the tennis Winkle match. The twins don't take, they don't really take an L because no. they're so on it. Yes, and we have Army Hammer in his... <laughs> Army, breakout his role. His breakout role. Um, I remember at the time, everyone was really impressed by how they did the twin stuff. It looks good. You know, there's some scenes where you can kind of... You can kind of tell what they've done, but like it's pretty seamless. And we remarked that Army Hammer and the script differentiate the the point of views, at least, of the cousins, if not their yeah, capacity for like, witticism. Yeah, so it's like they have like the, like these identical twin characters, but they also like have their own personality for some kind of. I, I like it, but it's like you didn't have to do that. Well, you know, it's something for Army Hammer. It's, to do. it's something for Army Hammer. I'd want to do, do it. Army Hammer. Okay, so sorry, we're not, we're not going to spend the whole time talking about Army Hammer, but like he's good. We can talk a little bit. He's about Army really Hammer. good. He's a good actor. And, and he, it makes me sad. It does <laughs> make me sad that he's, that he's cannibal. God damn it, dude. Uh, yeah. Come on. Because like, oh, like everyone in this movie is like basically like a really good actor. And Army Hammer is like, he had so many. So uh, many yeah. Like, I mean, I want to talk it. about it later. But uh, I mean, everyone handles the Sorkin dialogue very well. Um, sure. Yeah. Jesse Eisenberg does great. Andrew mm-hmm. Garfield is a budding star who yes. would go on to just absolutely crush it. And yeah. Some great projects. Um, and even Justin Timberlake, who is like really acting. Yeah, he's like, doing he a really character. He really wants to be doing a character who speaks a certain way. Because he could have just been way. doing Justin Timberlake. Mm-hmm. Then it would have been like, all right, sure, whatever. But and I will say, Fincher and Sorkin give him a good amount to do. He talks a lot he in talks this movie. A lot. I would say by he's, dialogue, he's like he's a third, the focal point yeah. of a scene that we really want to talk about that happens yeah. in the nightclub, where yes. it's like that's 
a, just a monologue. Let's talk about less. the Rooney Mara scene first, and yeah. then go yeah. To sorry, that scene. you're getting getting ahead. Uh, we actually we really liked this. <laughs> we enjoyed this a lot. Yes, because well, what Aaron Sorkin gave us is like the first seven pages of a tightly script written play mm. that basically is the cold open of this film, which is Jesse Eisenberg, Mark Zuckerberg on a date with Rooney Mara, mm-hmm. college girl. And, Erica Albright. Yeah, and in this, he sort of um, is just, we understand who he is right away. He's a guy who doesn't really like, he's very self-absorbed. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really care. He totally railroads. Yeah, he railroads conversations. He's condescending. Um, and he's and also he's hyper-fixated. And he's hyper-fixated on getting into clubs. Yeah, a final that, club. Uh, because they're exclusive. Mm-hmm. And, and Rooney Mara, even though it's clear from Mark Zuckerberg's monologuing that he's very intelligent, um, Rooney Mara is like a, a so, has a softer kind of intelligence, which yeah. is an emotional intelligence. Well, she's also committed the grave crime of going to BU, which yes. he says he's just like, well, you don't have to go study because you go to BU, and um, like really you know really devalues her. And it's like it's what sort of intelligence he values. And watching it, like we can tell that Rooney Mara's character is really tr- trying mm-hmm. because like she does like him, and this becomes like kind of a th- like this becomes what the scene culminates in is you know she, it ends up with it's her a saying. Scene. It's a breakup scene because because he's being so awful. Yes. And she gets fed up eventually and she gets up to leave and she's like, hey, like, you know, you are going to think that girls don't want to be with you because you're a nerd. Mm-hmm. And I want it to be very clear that that's not the case. It's because you're an asshole. Yes. And that's like how that opening scene ends. Yes. Now, it's a very tightly written scene. It's, it's packed. It's- packed with dialogue like it is I, I think that like it would be 14 pages if they weren't speaking so fast yeah and they're speaking um, very quickly like 14 total minutes they're speaking so you know the actors barely have time to act and react yeah. but they do because yeah. they're good actors mm-hmm. um, and it's well shot and paced and the sound design is wonderful it's like very loud in the bar yeah that they're in but like you know you can still hear which is Pretty awesome that it's like that's such a common complaint these days. Yes. You can't hear the dialogue, mm-hmm. but there's numerous loud scenes in here where you can still understand what they're saying. Yes. You can still make it, it out. It actually honestly like makes you lean in and yeah. listen harder. A hundred percent, which is a brilliant little thing. Yeah, that, uh, I don't think mm, people would be trusted to do yeah. in most situations yeah, now I agree if they were with making you. a movie. Um, but the scene is is basically a play scene, mm-hmm. and what I mean by that is like the dialogue is the entire. They're sitting at, at, at a table, like, having a beer. Yes. And I think this is both the strength and weakness of Sorkin, mm. is because he wants the writing to be the star. Yeah. And the only thing that's sometimes a problem about that is that film isn't a writer's medium. Mm. Film is a director's medium, and the images usually have to do more lifting than the words. Mm-hmm. Um Tarantino runs into this problem, I think, though less frequently, yeah. I think, than Sorkin. Yeah. Um, but he does run aground on it. Because basically what he's done in this first dialogue scene is tell us the whole movie. Yes. We 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 could stop watching the movie now and we would take away the same thing from it that we get two hours later. Yeah, I agree. I 100% agree with um, you. Because he's not interested kind of, in being misunderstood. It kind of over-explaining. Yes. Yeah, and that's something that we encountered a lot. He over-explains everything. And I think when I was watching it at when it came out, I was a lot more enamored mm-hmm. of it, of like the sort of mystery of it yeah. than I am now where I now feel that this is pretty 
over over explained. Yeah, there, 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 there's <laughs> certain there's certain moments that are that are overwrought just because Sorkin gives it like three or four lines of dialogue more than it needs. Yes. Um, but to kind of go or back to comic your comic relief when it's not appropriate. Or it's like what the, get 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 this out of here. But to go back to your your point about you know Sorkin wants it to be the star. This can be a problem sometimes. I think that. I mean, I think it, it really meshes well in the social network because Fincher is so understated and mm. it like it really does give the dialogue that that space. Right. So let's contrast that with the club scene. Yeah. Between uh Justin Timberlake, the Napster founder Sean Parker. Sean Parker and Jesse Eisenberg, Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. A scene we thought was probably the best scene in the movie. I, I, I think, would say. I mean, if only by our reactions to it, that yes. like we were tuned in. Yes. And I would say that paradoxically, the dialogue of this scene is nothing particularly ornate or special yeah. compared to the dialogue of the first scene, which it's is very, yeah, it's very florid. Yeah. So what this does, I believe, is give Fincher's, Fincher, pep. What this does, I think, is it gives Fincher room to operate at the height of his power as a yeah, director. Because he can't when the dialogue is filling up so much space mm-hmm. in most of the other scenes. Right. Um, and so this where it's just kind of, it, it's very like it's like very linear dialogue. It's easy to follow. It's not like you're not getting into something super deep. There's no you, there's no bit or game. There's no bit or like, game. Like you understand the stakes of it, but mm-hmm. but it gives room for Fincher to kind of do a lot of other stuff, which he does. He, he so he sets it in a club, mm-hmm. and the club's music is like this. Um, I mean, you've heard club music before, but it's, you know, it's a particularly dynamic club song and it's played at a very high volume relative to the actors' voices who have to shout to be heard over it. And the lighting of the club is Mm -hmm. changing, but the the faces are all still illuminated Mm -hmm. and you see their expressions. Yes. And I think it also works because there's not as much information that we're getting textually, but subtextually, we're seeing how... We're seeing the seduction. It's a seduction scene as opposed to a breakup scene. Yeah. Where he where Sean Parker is captivating Mark Zuckerberg and mm-hmm. he's being taken in by his, you know, business strategy and yeah. acumen and it's playing to his, you know, like Freudian carnal desires to be acknowledged and yeah. and have a certain status. Yeah, 100%. Um, and it's the best scene in the movie because it like throbs like a concert and like the music goes with yeah, the, the words. The sound mix was really cool. The sound design is incredible. Incredible. Because it's like it does start really loud and then like it does back off a little bit and then it's like it has like it, it's like pulsing. Yes. There's there's like there, there's a, a pulsing movement to the scene with like the beats of the bright lights illuminating their faces and some cool shots of like kind of like pretty close of maybe like medium of Justin Timberlake's face yeah. that starts to look really interesting when you're holding on it for long periods. Mm-hmm. His like eyebrows are all are washed out. Yeah. And, like it's very, it's very uncanny. Yeah. And, like, it's cool. Yeah. It's so it's, it's one of the most visually and sort of like emotionally dynamic yeah. scenes in the movie. Um, and it's when Sorkin is at his quietest. Yes. Mm-hmm. That should tell you something. Which is like not to say fuck you, Aaron Sorkin, because like there's a lot of places in this movie where, oh my God, I'm so glad that the dialogue is like that because, you know, I think we've mentioned this, a a whole bunch of this is like, it's exposition, it's explanation, there's narration, it's just like, hey, XYZ happened at the trial or whatever it is. And you have to have something that's kind of 
snappy enough yes. to keep that you have rolling. to punch that shit up and, and he does. god bless him aaron sorkin oh, yeah. can do that i yeah. don't think i could do it as well it's tough there's no way like yeah. it's it's i mean there is a way it's, it's aaron sorkin's way yeah um but that comes at a cost of some other stuff yeah sorkinisms yeah. <laughs> um should we talk a little bit about what what else fincher uh contributes here because i think i've often said like he's the king of like elevating the middle brow mm. literary property mm-hmm. to something that I think people like think of as like literary film. Like he's thought of as a serious filmmaker. He, but I he's think. like one of those middle brow auteur guys, yes, I guess. Because like, everyone likes him. I mean, it's like kind of like a Nolan. Yeah. Um, Cinephiles it, like him, but he's liked popularly as yeah, well. Yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, something that... David Fincher has an extremely distinctive style, but it's very palatable. It's not something that's like taxing to watch. He was one of the early adopters of digital cinematography. Mm -hmm. He like famously shoots an 8K in like the fucking highest resolution possible so that you can just like zoom in on chunks of the film Mm -hmm. of the frame if he wants to, to emphasize any particular thing Mm -hmm. in that and not lose any resolution. He's also Um, got really distinctive like color grading that he does. Yes. And I think he's been working with that same colorist and cinematography team for a lot of movies yes so uh jeff cronenweth also did fight club Mm -hmm. did the social network did the girl with the dragon tattoo and did gone girl oh okay yeah uh which is another movie yeah. that we'd maybe someday like to talk about on yes, this podcast. Yes, sneak peek. We just mentioned in that list two movies that we would like to talk about. I think the other thing we wanted to mention is that I think he is one of the best practitioners of the sort of low lighting yeah, uh, look. Yeah, which there's so much discussion about. There's so much discussion about right now, but I would say what separates Fincher is you can always see everything in his frames. Yeah. Even though I think he does want all the light sources to be... Um, Natural enough. Natural enough or like plausible enough within like the story of the I film. think, but I think like that's, that's exactly it though. It's like he, like we do get like for like outdoor night scenes, I do feel like all of the light is correctly motivated. Yes. But it's like, it, but it's very clearly something that he also, I think blocks for. Yes. It's like, okay, so we need Jesse Eisenberg to be closer to this street lamp because that's where our light source is yep. and we need to be able to capture you know what's going on well, here he finds light sources he finds like, that and it also cranks them up like yeah. there, there's no way around. like he has to like it, it, I, I think that the, the, the mistake that's being made right now I mean, everybody has any variety of theories as to why it's happening yeah. but a lot of it is just like fear of going too bright and that it's gonna like I don't know, throw your audience See, out almost of it? seem like sketch comedy or yeah. seem unreal in some way, but it looks I think that audiences are anyway. way more accepting of that than perhaps they're trying to excuse it as. I think also people want it to look like the stuff they're seeing. Mm. And if it doesn't look like the stuff they're seeing, I mean, look, I'm not a gaffer. I'm not a DP. Like, I don't, I don't I'm not, I've worked with them, but I'm not yeah. like trying to put myself in their heads. But actually, yes, I am. I'm trying to put myself in their heads. I think maybe what's happening is they're looking at stuff they're looking at contemporary television and when something doesn't look like that in mm-hmm. their fucking viewfinder they're like ah we, correct, we need to correct yeah, this yeah. to look like this when it's just like actually maybe you need to try something yeah you know yeah um, yeah and i think that weirdly enough like yeah nice. like we're like criticism like you know critical of that kind of over naturalistic lighting stuff that fincher does that we would also say is like part of his very distinctive style yeah also he's popular they might be trying to emulate him and doing a bad job i mean i i think that like 
I, that's got to be like a big chunk of it is like him not just like him alone but like I think like a lot of you know filmmakers of that class he's a director's director like yeah people really like, like I want to do uh, who wouldn't want to be like David Fincher yes it's like got to be really easy to fall into that kind of trap just like I mean how many people have fallen into the I want to be Quentin Tarantino trap sure yeah so it's like same sort of deal but like there's a reason that they're them it's because they're exceptional yeah which is also you know we we're talking about it while we we're watching that's like that's who Aaron Sorkin cares about people who are exceptional yeah that's that's kind of the end of the story yep yeah, well, we I, we should talk a little bit about that because I think that this I think that dovetails perfectly in how I'd like to the last act of our talk. Yeah, which is how do we feel that the themes of this movie have held up in twenty twenty three? Because when we watched it at the time, it was very like wow, how profound. Yeah, um, wow, how profound. I, that's what I remember thinking as a. Uh, 19 year old yeah. when I saw this movie yeah I, yeah I was a teenager and definitely remember feeling wow how profound um kind of like going like you know and we weren't just the- teenagers we weren't alone this movie was very acclaimed yeah no yeah a hundred percent but it was like wow like yeah like that that's really deep wow like that is like what money does or whatever it's like yeah yeah like whatever who cares but you know it's interesting that in, in the movie that itself like it says you know, like we like you know it wasn't really clear at the time when we were building it like what Facebook was going to end up being mm-hmm. um and it's like yeah and at the time of this movie being made they still didn't they have still any, didn't have it. Yeah. like they didn't see your like your mom on QAnon like getting yeah. like, hooked on that sort of thing which is like ultimately what Facebook has kind of morphed into and it's also to also into something deeply unglamorous yes because at the time of this movie it's still like the Young new sexy, sexy thing yeah. on town in yes. town yeah. where as now it's like a joke for your grandma yeah Do you know what i mean a very profitable joke a very profitable for your joke. grandma and also for the record very profitable because of ads yes which is which is you, a big point of contention amongst andrew garfield's character because he's like because uh just nibbling's character is like well we don't need that shit like we just need to get like private funding like whatever it is we're not gonna like put ads in it that makes it lame and we're like yeah it does make it lame but ultimately like, that's where that's where it all went it all went to ads so yes. like he was correct um but it but it's it's you know watching it in 2023 it's it's kind of funny because it has it's because it feels slightly naive. Yeah. Like, it, like it, and like not to say that it's not a sophisticated work because I do think that it is, but like a lot of it is just like yeah, but like that's not how Mark Zuckerberg is, and like this isn't right. how this shit is. Because at the end of the day, Sorkin does something that he should do, which is make it more about the character of Mark Zuckerberg's like. Um, trauma that motivates him yes to be a dick and mm-hmm. like backstab his friend because like he is antisocial at his core and insecure and insecure there you go but the thing that so it's not really like a big ideas about technology movie it never no. wants to be that it no, more wants to all, be about the struggle of this one man's soul yes the problem with that is is as slickly as it's all produced Sorgan is basically never willing to let Mark Zuckerberg look pathetic. No, he's... He's cool. Yeah. Even when he's a loser. Yeah, and, like, the the most loserly thing about him is at, like, the very end when, like, he's just alone. However, uh... When he's alone... We should say a friend requesting Eric Albright, his his girlfriend his ex from, who broke up with him in the in first, the first scene, scene, and he keeps refreshing to see if she accepted his friend. However, at the same time, we get on screen text telling us how successful Facebook is. Yes, it's like 
okay, well. <laughs> yeah, any anytime he faces any adversity, he has the perfect, perfect comeback, perfectly scripted comeback to yeah. it to like just put it down to and destroy him. it yeah. as like you know because he's because at the end of the day, even though uh, Aaron Sorkin believes that. Mark Zuckerberg is pro- Mark Pitt. Mark Zuckerberg is probably a little miserable. Mm-hmm. Uh, he at least he's a genius. Yeah, like at least he's a he's tortured smart and genius. Rich. He's at least he's smarter than everyone else and rich. Yeah, which I'm sure is how Aaron Sorkin feels about himself. <laughs> <laughs> at least I'm smarter than everybody else, and I have money. Yes. So whatever. even though I feel pangs of intrusive <laughs> thought humiliation <laughs> all the time, <laughs> but, but I'm smarter. But whom amongst us? <laughs> amongst us yeah indeed yeah like yeah i mean mark zuckerberg never truly like he looks like an asshole in parts of this and i think that that was part of you know when it came out people were like oh like this is the truth about because like there really hadn't been a lot of expose stuff about mark zuckerberg which this isn't exactly because it's not really riding it that hard right but it's kind of like the first acknowledgement that like oh this guy fucking sucks but also he's cool but also he's the richest youngest billionaire in the world yeah so so the person who ends up really having to take the drop Mm-hmm. emotionally and, and in that way is Andrew Garfield. Yeah. Who is absolutely up to the task. Yeah, yeah. Um, in one of the most compelling acting scenes in the film when he freaks out. It smashes at, at the laptop. Um, yeah. And he's like perfectly balancing like rage and sadness and yeah. stuff. He's just like absolutely, you know, Andrew Garfield's a fucking incredible actor. Yeah, the, he does a really... Acting yeah. nerd aside, he's <laughs> incredible. Acting nerd aside. But yeah, but he has he has to really reach those emotional peaks that Mark Zuckerberg can't in this because he's too cool. Yes, and also because I think Eisenberg is smart enough to insert in his performance the idea that this person is almost incapable of yes. emotions like that. Yes. Which is a good way to humanize him in the sense of since Sorkin won't allow him yeah. in his dialogue to be to ever take the fall, I think something Eisenberg in the is, performance yeah, has to something yeah. in the performance has to explain that yeah. while making him like bad because otherwise, him pathetic. otherwise he'd be too much of a fucking badass. Otherwise, you know? he yeah, has to look like, like Jesse yeah, Eisenberg, so cool. yeah, you know? yeah, 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 and, and have ba- mannerisms, you know, mannerisms, exactly yeah. like that, and that's why. Jesse Eisenberg is a great actor. Yeah, and like, and I think we were saying it's like he kind of got pigeonholed because of this because he he's sort so of did, yeah. good at this that it became like, oh, like that's what he does, and like he does that that kind of stuff really well, and is a really excellent actor, and is not just this, but it was kind of like you, like he did like too good of a job. Yeah, and it's like, all right, well, that's that's what you are now. So yes. sorry. Uh, it took them a while to let him be in stuff where he like is. A normal human, yeah, like like emoting or 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 like feeling a little more like vulnerable. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I don't know if any of you you haven't watched Fleischman's in Trouble. No, but I've, I mean, everybody who I've he's very good has like it. said that it's extremely um, good. I watched. Good. Um, I think he's a wordy person person by nature. So yeah, so yeah, that, that 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 serves it as well. Playwright. Um, but. But yeah, I mean, I think that we get the, he gets he David Fincher gets excellent performances out of everyone um there's like kind of no one who's not up to the task brenda song brenda song we wanted to shout her out yeah give um, her some snaps as like an actress who is in everything yeah who works a lot uh, um but has never really been given a starring role unless you want to count 
the sweet life of Zack and Cody. I was going to say Wendy Wu Homecoming Warrior. Those were uh, oh, Disney yeah. Channel movies. Loved those. But she's very beautiful and she's, she's very, very talented. Yeah, she she's deserves a leading lady status. The only issue with her in this is that, yeah. and you know, we're not really going to talk about it, but like Aaron Sorkin like just like doesn't respect her like women, and <laughs> he's just like makes her just he makes a, psycho her a crazy psycho bitch. That's it. That's it. That's like her <laughs> Who whole burns thing. Burns Andrew Garfield's like the, socks. The, the silk scarf that he bought her that she lights yeah. it. On fire. She's like, have you ever seen me wear a scarf? You didn't call me. And she's like, the crazy ex-girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, and like, and she like barges out, and then like he he's on the phone saying that like, I'm going back, and then she comes back. And she's like, you're leaving. It's like, okay, Aaron, like yeah. just calm, calm down. Uh, prior to that, she had been a, a groupie who sucks uh, Andrew Garfield's dick in, in a bathroom. bathroom well. so, so that's great. This is the sort of uh, and she orders an apple teeny. Yeah, this is the sort of fantasies that Aaron Sorkin has, <laughs> and they are and if, and as we've said before. Much worse than Quentin Tarantino's disgusting fantasies that he parades across <laughs> celluloid. I would I would rather buy a ticket to one of Tarantino's gross fantasies Weird than I would movies. to Sorkin's fantasies any day. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Um, you know who else is in this? Dakota Johnson. Uh, we yeah, in a very her. small role where she is just like in her underwear talking just to just Justin Timberlake. Like, She's like, I didn't even know you were the founder of Napster. We fucked. And Justin Timberlake's like, I gotta meet these guys in Palo Alto. She's She's like, like, what? What's that? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Aaron Sorkin doesn't respect women. <laughs> no, um, of course not. But that's okay. But Brenda Song snaps. You did a, fa- a fabulous job with yeah. whatever Aaron Sorkin gave you. Yeah, and women are crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, mm, women be crazy. Um, what else? What else do we have to talk about with this? Um, I'm just going to look over my notes. I put ravenous yeah. hose. Brenda yeah, that Song. was about the, the, the bathroom. Uh, Rooney BJ. again. I would just like to also know, you know back to Sorkin, like he loves people being put in their place. Yeah. Like he loves yeah. monologuing at someone and just destroying them. Yeah. Owning really them. Owning them. He, you know, he Shonda Rhimes. He uh. shares that with Shonda Rhimes. <laughs> yeah, they yeah, need yeah. to write like, they need to co-write like a rom-com where yeah, women and men script. just like, Domi- verbally dominate each other back and forth just and it dunking, just gets more and dunks. more erotic because clearly for both of them that's really their that's that that's their, their debate fetish. club fetish eroticism <laughs> yeah. that they have yeah absolutely oh yeah debate club fetishism that's yeah i think that's probably very apt yeah apt doctor movies thank you uh a drinking coding scene that's like, like that's the type of games that he finds to make you know Something as boring as coding. Yeah. Yeah. It gives it some body. Exactly. You know, so we're, we're, I guess what we want to say is that, like, we don't think he's a bad writer. We just don't think he's a good writer. This is an excellent use of him. Yes. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say. I think it's my favorite Sorkin project. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think that that could be a wrong answer potentially because. This, Moneyball, and A Few Good Men are my favorite Sorkin things. Not. The West Wing. Not the West Wing. Moneyball, check that one out. It's fun. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I, I, I'm pleased to say The Social Network holds up, you know. Uh, I was kind of wondering if it was going to feel weird, but it's like, but I really should have trusted Fincher um, that he was going to pull something good. Because I, I don't know. I, I, I haven't seen a Fincher movie that I was like, this is dog shit. It is. I mean, if you just put it together... The sound design, the score, cinematography, yeah. all lights, the all incredible performance, performances, yeah. and screenplay in important moments, yeah, in vital moments. It is a 
bunch of talented people coming yep. together to make a pretty fucking good movie yep. about something that is hard to make a compelling film about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, credit snaps, uh, congratulations. Uh, 2023 has uh, judged the social network as approved. Approved by the standards of the... Of the us. Future. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Social Network, check it out uh, if you haven't in a while. Uh, it's, it's It holds up. It, it holds up. Yeah. F- full marks. Um, uh, we kind of hinted at it earlier, but we're probably eventually going to get uh, talking back uh, about Fincher again. Um, we'd like to talk about Gone Girl. Gone Girl and Fight Club. And Fight Club. And their Together. relationship to each other. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that would... I mean, unfortunately, we have to do like homework for it. I'd also like to movie. touch on Seven because okay. I just find that film kind of baffling. Okay. So that's been sitting in our shared notes at where you just wrote, I want to talk about Seven. I want seven. to talk about Seven. <laughs> yeah. So we we'll, need we'll to talk that about it. Seven. Yeah. What? Yeah. I, I won't ask you any questions about it because I do want to hear your thoughts, but on the pod. Mm-hmm during our, our, our Fincher Fest. Woo! Yeah. So thank you for listening. Uh, and I don't know. Bye, I guess. Bye.